Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for coyote hunting, fishing, and more. We're calling West Texas, and we're filming, and we called 36 coyotes in one night. Two years ago, three years ago, I had in one morning six bucks that were three and a half and older within 50 yards of my stand. Six different bucks one morning. It was in October. Went made my first coyote stand, me and my cousin. And uh, very first freaking stand, guys, we called up seven coyotes. <laughs> seven coyotes. Florida itself is a fisherman's paradise. We stick out in the middle of the water, man. There's water everywhere. Let's kick it into overdrive. This podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Locally owned and operated out of Attica, Michigan, Predator Hunter Outdoors will keep you hunting when the sun goes down. Predator Hunter Outdoors has something for every budget and experience level, including lights, night vision, and thermal, as well as a full line of tripods, mounts, and predator calls. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram at Predator Hunter Outdoors, or visit their webpage at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com. Enter the promo code LIGHT for 20% off light products, and TRIPOD for 10% off tripods and mounts. Want to lengthen your time in the field and shorten your scouting time? Not only does the HuntWise app show you property boundaries, landowners' names, and in some cases even their phone number, but using the app will show you the wind direction on the map of the place you want to hunt. And the HuntCast feature shows peak movement times for various species, including predators. Get the HuntWise app at www.huntwise.com, the Google Play Store, or the Apple App Store. For only $59.99 a year for Pro or $119.99 a year for Elite. Use promo code OVERDRIVE20 for 20% off an annual membership. Hey everybody, Kevin Rott here today with the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Uh, Today we have special guest Dennis Gilmore. How are you doing today, Dennis? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Now you're from New York, correct? Yes, uh, I actually live in upstate New York. I'm about, uh, I'm right on the border of, of uh, Vermont, Mass- Vermont and Massachusetts. You're the first guest and person I think I've talked to other than, you know, some of the guys from Fox Pro that are out on the east side of the country. Um, that's So a little bit of background about Dennis for our listeners here. Dennis has a blog and has published quite a few um, articles on predator hunting, uh, including bear hunting, fox, coyote. Um, and he gathers a lot of that information from other hunters. He also has written, you've written three books, is that right? Three, two on predator hunting and one on tinnitus, which is something that I suffer from. Okay. So he's a author of both, are those both an e-print and paper? Yes. Yep. Okay. So both an author of, you know, regular literature plus the blog posts that, you know, that's how I got to meet you per se was seeing your posts on various Facebook pages, asking for insight from other hunters, and then reading the articles that you put together, um, detailing the information that you've gathered and then put that information out there for beginners and anybody to pick up on and hopefully help them be more successful in the field um so tell us a little bit about yourself are you originally from new york 
Yes, uh, actually, I was born and raised in Albany, New York. Um, I enlisted in the Marines at 17 and spent five and a half years um, living in Africa um, and in Ireland, of all places. There's actually, at the time, there was five Marines in Ireland and five Marines in Somalia. And I dig a commando, Marenka, off Somali Mahagan. I still actually speak a little Somali from having, there was just so few of us, we had to learn some of the language to get along. Wow. What was your MOS in the Marines? I actually was, uh, at the time I left, I was a Marine security guard. So we worked inside the embassies. Okay. Um, but I also was a mechanic on the F4 Phantoms. Really? Which is, yeah. And, and that's the interesting thing that we, you know, with the Marines, we're, we're, uh, we're still using the airplanes that our fathers flew. And <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I, uh, I think, probably the most important thing your listeners can understand is I'm not the expert. I, I don't, I'm not the expert here. I ask the experts and what I need from the experts is what is the lowest cost and most effective way for a brand new predator hunter to enter the field with the highest probability that he will call in a coyote, a fox or bobcat on his first night and successfully take that animal with what we in a trade refer to as a dead right there. Mm -hmm. I don't want any wounded animals. I don't want people spending a lot of time on empty sets or using or getting in the habit of using bad habits to call animals. So it, we're talking about the most efficient costs and their time spent. If someone is able to go out for $50 and, call in and take a coyote or a fox their first night, they're far more likely, Kevin, to go out a second, third, or fourth night. We want to get them addicted to it. Now, the biggest problem is, you and I both know, if you go out with a $50 red light, you're going to have a blast. It's going to be a pain, but you're going to have an absolute blast as a new predator hunter. If you go out with a thermal, <clears throat> yes, the success rate goes up, the cost to get into the sport goes ballistic and i'm afraid you don't learn as much about the actual skill of calling in a predator so i'd like to stay at that level where somebody's just spending 50 to 100 dollars using an old 22 a shotgun a hunting rifle so our deer hunter can get into it without any extra expense or a turkey hunter get into it without any extra expense and as we talk, uh, I'll explain a few things that my wife and I have done over the last few years up here to try to bring in at least two dozen new gun owners and hunters every year. And we use our property to do that. Now, did you grow up hunting? Is hunting something new to you? Um, like a lot of people up here, this, this area has changed a lot since I was a child. Um, I originally did a little bit of the five-year-old in the uh, red snowsuit walking around behind my dad when he was rabbit hunting. But no, I did not actually get a hunting license. Um, I had no interest in it. And at, like I said, at 17, I enlisted in the Marines. And when I got out of the Marines, um, one of the things I was sick of it, it, from the Marine Corps was I was sick of walking around with a weapon. I just got tired of it. It's it constantly worried about it, especially because we had to carry sidearms in my trade. Um, so when I got home, the, the last thing I want to do is pick up a gun and go out hunting. I had absolutely no intention of ever doing it again or of even owning or possessing a weapon. 
So then what got you interested in it? Yeah, it's a bit of a story, but my wife and I purchased 35 acres in an area that I often describe as it's 2.2 miles from our back door to the nearest unused logging road. Um, we bought this property and then we turned some of it into a shooting range and some of it into what I would describe as golf course. It's about eight to nine acres. It's, it's, it's mowed all the time. Um, it looks very nice. It's got great curb appeal. And then as a gift, almost as a lark, I bought my wife a couple of ducks. I think I actually bought two ducks, two white Pekin ducks. And in a couple of weeks, we ended up with 12 uh, chickens and ducks total. We purchased one of those coops that you can buy, a tractor supply, and we thought we would have this quiet little life up here where we had fresh eggs, we had some farm animals, and there's no noise up here. There's absolutely no noise. It's a quiet, peaceful place for both professionals with other trades, um, and we thought we would have our great little life. We were, we, were, we were about to be surprised by what would happen. So tell us about what happened. What was the catalyst? Uh, it's going to sound a little bit funny to predator hunters. Um, but we named our animals. We put little tags on our legs. Um, they were color-coded. And so if you were purple, you were Phyllis. If you were brown, you were Blondie. Um, and Barbara was a large white Pekin duck, a female duck, a hen. And um, she was Barbara and Daryl. Uh, we named them actually after the Walking Dead characters, but um, they became family favorites. They were, they, they had their own little swimming pool. We hadn't yet built our pond. Um, and they were pets. They were pets. As much as a dog or a cat was a pet, these were our pets. And we started noticing that you know, might be one odd night, we'd have five chickens and six ducks. So my wife and I would go out with flashlights and we would look around and call for these animals. We would shake the feed bags, all the things that you could learn online. Uh, I know, right? It's It sounds silly. Uh, I'm, I'm nearly a 60-year-old Marine sergeant. has been all over the place. And yet I still love my animals. Um, we would do anything to find them. And it's heartbreaking when you can't find them but we had no clue. When you talk about being uninformed, uneducated, uh, we didn't know what we had done by creating basically a tractor supply feed store for coyotes, foxes, and bobcats in the middle of nowhere. This quiet place, free of all the excess loud humanity and everything else we're trying to get away from, actually had its own biosphere. And we didn't realize we were just bringing fresh meat into it every single time we went to tractor supply. We were either buying new animals for them to eat or buying food to fatten the animals that they were about to destroy. Um, one particular afternoon, we got, we got both lucky and very unlucky. Barbara was attacked by what we now know was a juvenile red fox. This fox savaged her in front of my wife, who was about 60 yards away and unable to do anything about it. And then the juvenile was unable to carry her away. It just was so much bigger than she was. And that was when we realized we weren't prepared for this. We didn't have any idea how to take care of our own livestock. 
So I'm not even, you know, now we're talking about teaching new predator hunters. At this time, I didn't even know what was going after my animals every day. And Kevin, in the next two to three years, I would find through, through the research that we'll talk about later, I would find fox dens 12 yards away from my coops. Oh, wow. I would lose 14 chickens in a week before I would put all these things together. So what do you do when you're in that situation? Well, first we had to go on to the, the different poultry sites, the, the different chicken sites. And those, the, the people that, that maintain those posts provide a service that is invaluable. You, you can read a lot of books and, and you know, I'm a guy who writes them, but it's the people online that, that provide these quick YouTube videos, you know, two, three minutes uh, or a quick article about what animal did this to your flock. I mean, if you have, if, if their necks are bitten or if there's just a scattering of leaves, uh, I'm sorry, feathers 50 yards away from your coop, we had to figure out whether this was uh, what was taking our animals. And we relied on people who were willing to take the time to write blogs, and articles, and do these little YouTube videos just to determine, oh boy, we've got a lot of predators here. And I'm going to ask you a question. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a number, but for in the last four years, or over a four-year period, how many coyotes or foxes do you think you could kill if you could only fire on them while they were within a one-acre block? That's that's really kind of a hard question to answer, based off population and. Um, you know, your population densities, if you have a healthy population and you mix up your tactics, I mean, it, it, you'd have the opportunities, but how many could you do? I mean, obviously that would depend on the population density. Um, I guess that's about the best answer I'd have at this point, right. you know? right. So uh, what what happened with me, what what would what, what eventually become the predatorhunter.com and the books was as I would take these animals, I would weigh them, um, I would measure them. Um, we have one spot on our property that's outside the back of the house here. There's, there's 0.92 acres in size. In the last four years, I've killed 127 foxes and coyotes while they were standing on that 0.92 acres. Now, that's an incredible claim to make. That's, that's, it's fantastic. Um, I do have people that, uh, you know, that have seen my, my numbers and statistics, but that just shows you that somehow my wife and I built a, built a little farm here and, and predator and central, extremely <laughs> predator rich. Yes. We, the little things that you and, and your, your more experienced audience would notice right away if they came out here and, and might have, you know, if we knew each other before, you could say, Dennis, you might have a problem here. Um, <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no rabbits. There's no squirrels. Um, we don't even have red squirrels. When it gets really thick around here, there's nothing. And I think the other thing that might've saved me early on was having uh, what I consider to be an undomesticated, uh, domesticated coyote, which is the German shepherd. Um, watching my German shepherd mouse all day and 
consume probably two bowls of grasshoppers on a nice autumn afternoon here on the hill. I had absolutely no idea, nor did my wife, what we were doing when we brought all this food in here. And like a lot of people, now we know how the or why the animals are dying. We know that it's we've seen the red fox. We hadn't yet seen a coyote. Um, we went through the process of securing our coops. We spent a lot of money on that. I bet you we spent at least half as much as the coops on the quarter inch wire cloth, um, thickening up and, and, and stiffening up the supports on the buildings. We added lights and people on Amazon and the internet will sell you all sorts of stuff that just doesn't work. You know, the predator <laughs> lights that are supposed to scare stuff away. Um, You're but <laughs> what, what eventually happened was I started to watch the YouTube videos on how to hunt these animals. And I bought a red light and snapped it on an old rifle. I think we had purchased when we first came out here, we purchased some AR platform. Um, and, and, and it was iron scopes, uh, uh, iron sights. I'm sorry. That was what, as a Marine, I was taught on, um, you know, when, when I was a young Marine, we could hit a man sized target at 500 yards for iron sights. That's I, I know how to do that here. And, after a while, this property is what in the Marine Corps we would call a KD course. It's a known distance course. If there's something on a particular spot of this land, I know exactly what the range is for it. And let me tell you something. Anybody who's shot the 223 knows that you don't really need to do much between 100 and 200 yards right. with your aim. Right? I'm not a skilled marksman. And I, I think maybe what you should do is have an alarm that every five minutes reminds me to tell your audience that I'm not the expert. I ask the experts. So I snapped a red light on it. And then I purchased a Primus mouse squeeze ball. I don't think that thing cost me $5 back then, maybe yeah. five, $6. I think they're like $10 now. And if you look, if, if there's something, if I'm recommending a caller, it's either the Primus mouse squeezer uh, or one of uh, Rush Custom Callers predator calls. Um, you know, we can, we can talk more about that later, but right now, um, we can you can kind of figure out well why does Dennis write a blog about how to become a predator hunter with just fifty dollar light and an old rifle? Um, if you think about it, I actually, I have two audiences. I have the, the the person who's missing chickens and ducks and has the ability to shoot, and then I have the new predator hunter. Now, if I had my druthers, if I could go back in time. I would look to see if there were predator hunters and trappers in my area that is people who have poultry um certainly poultry and and to some degree you know cattle if they have herd hunters and trappers near them it's just an additional insurance um not only should you let them on your land but you should enjoy the fact that they live in adjacent properties and are taking care of these problems for you unfortunately at the time my ignorance i didn't know what i was doing but because I've got a Jersey wife and she's got a Marine husband, we decided to make this work. And so we've been able to team up and, you know, uh, one of the, the, the book I did on red on hunting red and gray Fox at night, uh, my wife's in there. So she's actually gotten her share of them as well. So when you first, you know, you experienced your losses, you reinforced your coop, um, did everything that you can physically aside from hunting them. Then you decided to start hunting them on your own you remember what YouTube videos you watched and what your feelings were after watching them? Well, you know, in, um, in during that time frame, 
I was watching every video, anything, the, 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 uh, the shorter ones, you know, I would, I would probably go through, Kevin, I'll bet you I went through 50 a night. Uh, you know, th there's uh, the saving grace for me with writing about predator hunting is I have, I consider myself and, and Brian Rush will tell you, I, I've, I've been considering myself an embedded journalist. So I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the guy in the tank with the Marines who works for some magazine and I have to ask the stupid questions. I have to always remind everybody that if somebody actually starts shooting at us, I'm going to run and hide. <laughs> and you know, I, I actually think um, I'm, I, at some point I probably will. When I'm when I'm doing the taping with people who are actually out hunting, I'm, I'm wearing body armor and it's going to say press on, right. <laughs> so that everybody knows. Because press is just another way of telling the Marines and the predator hunters around you, this idiot don't know what he's doing. You know, um, I watch so many of these videos, uh, and 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 eventually I found um, that there was a consistent theme here. And that at the time it was, it was red lights. There weren't really a lot of people using these pulsars and uh, the ATNs. So uh, I focused on what can I get that will, um, I can immediately just clip onto my rifle and go out and look for these things. Um, I can't remember the first light that I used. It was, I believe one of those ones actually had the red lens that you clipped over it. Mm -hmm. But just to interrupt for just a second, uh, approximately what year was that that you started? Right about 2012. Okay. 2012. Um, so now I'm, <laughs> you talk about not being the expert. I've been very upfront. If, if there's, if there was a, a word you could use with me at this time frame, idiot would be an idiot. Um, I did not realize the difficulty in shooting at night. I did not realize that um, this this red light was only really going to show me where the eyes were. And I have some very, very thick woods here. And just in case I, I forget, I should point out that while I've written articles about bobcat hunting, I have never actually shot a bobcat that was more than 16 feet away. That's the longest shot I've had on a bobcat in the woods. Uh, they're not usually usable at that range. It's it's almost the muzzle velocity an inch away from the gun. But anyway, <laughs> that's the kind of thing I'm I'm calling or I'm attempting to call or I would be calling animals in very thick woods, and all I would see is the eyes. And it took a while. I made many mistakes. And what I was doing though was I have this tendency, this this habit of documenting writing about every single night every single animal that i took running down taking a picture of an insight putting a little card next to it weight time uh length and over the next couple of years uh in talking with friends describing what had happened what i had done um somebody asked me to see one of the videos that i shot i had actually started recording video recording uh, i have a, a where my stand here is about 50 to 75 feet above where the animals are actually going to make their approach up until they're a good say 40 yards away so i'm 50 feet above them so it's almost like drone footage when you look at my older videos but what i noticed was or what what people would spot out later was 
I could take, uh, I would spend an hour and a half on a calling, what you, what I would now call a calling sequence. But what I was doing was I was just using, um, a, to, in my mind back then, a scenario. I was creating a mental play mm-hmm. of th- this is a show that what, what it would be like in, in real life, in the woods, if you heard my call. And these videos are an hour and a half long, an hour and a half long, where there are coyotes in almost every single minute of it. So a, a good example would be I would I would go out at night and I would make a few, and I was using electronic calls. I would make a few prey and distress calls. And then I would, I would, I'm literally sitting out there in the cold thinking, all right, I'm a wounded mouse. I'm a wounded rabbit. I'm, I'm caught on a barbed wire and I'm a cottontail. I'm not going to scream all night. I'm going to make a few terrified sounds and I'm going to shut up. I'm going to squirm and squiggle, try to get away, but I'm not going to make any noise. Okay. That, that's not, I've never really heard much die that way. And then after a while, I would introduce, and, and, and probably uh, the, the best video I've ever taken, I decided that I would now introduce the idea of a single female coyote howling. Three, four sessions of this, no more than a minute long, uh, each one. And then I introduced the male coyote. And then I did the duet, you know, the, the coyote paired yowls. Um, what happened was they called in the resident pack, or the resident family. We all know they're not packs. Um, and then I started taping. And over the next 90 minutes or so, I was actually able to repeatedly call that family unit back in and record how they made their approach, how they would pull away. They would get, they would get within 150 yards of the call and decide something's not right here and back out. And then they would come back in two, three minutes later, come charging back in. And one of the, what really convinced me that I knew something was interesting being filmed here was if, and I can tell you now because I actually took these after a while, I took the animals, but in, in this video, the, a female breaks herself off. I'm going to assume it was the alpha female. She broke herself off from the family unit and she made an approach within 80 yards of the caller and then came back. And as soon as she did, the male did. Now, when the male went in, he peed where she peed and he pooped where she pooped. Mm-hmm. It's all on camera. I could not believe that they were actually marking and double marking their property because they thought a strange transient pair of coyotes was having dinner in their, in their own living room. Right. Um, showing that video to people and and folks saying, hey, you know what, based on all this other stuff you've collected, maybe you should start talking about or, or, or teaching people what this means as far as how to hunt coyotes and foxes and stuff. And that became, eventually became the predator hunter. It might take another five, six, eight years, but I eventually started getting all this information and writing, like I said, trying to help that first time predator hunter spend almost nothing to go out and take an animal. Yeah, and you're you're basically sharing it from your experience. So I mean, you were doing it from that perspective right off the bat, which well, you know. One, one thing I will point out, and 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 I know I've done this before. But I'm not the expert. Right. You're never going to talk to somebody as ill-informed on your web page as you are right now, <laughs> uh, and that 
the, the, the benefit of that for me and for my audience is that I always remember that I'm, I'm the guy who asks the experts. Right. I, I will ask sometimes a specific question. What shotgun do you like to use? What, what caliber round do you like to use? Um, there's, there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, the downside, if you will, is I have opinions. Um, I have very strong opinions about some of the stuff I see online. Some of the, some of the things that we do as predator hunters. Um, I can't voice them. Um, you know what? At best, uh, it's, it's the celebrity who opens his mouth and loses half of his audience. Right. Just shut up and admit that you don't know what you're talking about. You're, I'm giving lines exactly as an actor is, and I'm just supposed to make them into something people enjoy or find interesting or informative. But my own opinion, it, admittedly, less experience, uh, don't, I, I can't throw that out there. And I think that's why, you know, we're, we're, we're probably going to have about 20,000 uh, readers this month, which is perfect. I mean, we're, we're expanding like crazy. Um, I'd like to see closer to 80 to a hundred thousand by November, December. And we're on track for that. But I always have to remember, I have to remember all the actors that I enjoyed who opened their mouths and inserted their own opinion and forgot that, you know what, other people are, are providing you with the writing, with the lines that you're supposed to use. Yeah. So that's, you know, humility here is the only way that's ever going to save my career in writing, you know? One thing that I've noticed in the years that I've been doing this is when I first started, I wasn't, I don't even know if Facebook was around then when I first started getting into it. So we had forums that we would read. And again, like you, when I decided I wanted to get into it, one of the first things I started doing was reading as much information as I could, which back then there was two sources of information. There was internet forums and there was magazines. So I scooped up, you know, all the magazines I could. I spent a ton of time on forums but one thing I noticed on a lot of forums was there was a real reluctance from a fair amount of people to share information. And, you know, some of the people were really blunt about it. They're like, well, you just have to go out and learn it on your own. I'm not telling you what I do. Um, and some people were, you know, a little bit more constructive on it. Like, hey, go out and try this. Um but you're, I'm starting to see that trend go towards now more people are willing to help the new hunters than they were, say, 10 years ago, I think. And my own personal opinion on it, and I know this is shared by more people now, is I'd much rather, there's more competition in the predator hunting world right now than there ever has been. There's more people getting involved in it. It's one of the largest growing facets of the hunting industry right now um and i think what you're seeing is and you you've learned some of this from your experiences as well but predators get smart fast and i think the idea now like i said from my perspective is i'd much rather take someone that's new that wants to get involved in it whether it's from you know protecting their livestock to a hobbyist to you know whatever level they want to jump in at but i'd much rather shorten that learning curve for them and see them become successful as opposed to going out there being unsuccessful making every predator out there smarter and heck 
Um, and that's, there's several facets to that. One is if it's, you know, someone that's protecting their livestock, you know, we want to help them protect their livestock effectively. If it's someone that, um, you know, wants to do it as a hobbyist, you know, you want to enjoy a hobby. I'd rather see you be successful and enjoy it rather than, hey, I seen so-and-so doing this. This looks like a blast. I went out and did it. And that's stupid. I ain't doing that anymore. You know, I get discouraged. So I think that you're seeing more of a trend now of people more willing to help the new people get involved successfully as opposed to just saying, just go out and do it. You're going to well, screw up and, you know, whatever. I'd rather see him be more successful sooner. Kevin, uh, in, and, and I mentioned earlier, I believe that um, <clears throat> my wife and I have a, uh, we have these range days here at the property and we rent, um, I believe it's a 16 acre shooting range in uh, the town we live in, um, where we will we'll bring people here to the property. They will, at, at nine o'clock, there's, a, we use either airsoft or pellet guns, something with a scope on it, something with iron sights. And we introduce them to the idea of shooting. And we always bring people who are against gun ownership. So we bring them out to the range. And there's a day-long process here. We provide lunch and we provide a little dinner and drinking at the end of the day. Once range time is closed, we have, we have adult beverages. But at the end of the day, we have a anti-gun person who can hit a golf ball at 100 yards. And it's a golf ball that they, that they take home. Um, and so they've learned everything about the sport, all the safety, all, all everything that goes into it. And we have a local gun dealer here, uh, a gun owner, two gun owners, uh, um, uh, gun shop owners, I'm sorry, <clears throat> that can either sell them a 22 or a shotgun that day. So they've got, now they've got a little bit of skin in the game. So we've taught them, we've introduced them to the sport of shooting, uh, marksmanship. Some of them go home gun owners. These are people who didn't want a gun in the house. They were afraid of guns. Mm -hmm. We've women. I can say, I can say safely handle this, but there's a lot more involved to, to hitting a golf ball, a golf ball at 100 yards. We, when we bring up the golf balls at the beginning of the day, people think you're, this is not going to happen. If you apply the same logic to, making sure that new predator hunters are successful, then what we're doing is we're preserving both ends of our sport, which is gun ownership, the right to own guns and the sport itself. And there's, there's no value in either misleading or refusing to provide accurate information for that first time gun owner. There's going to be egos. There's going to be calibers. Um, but we 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 preserve our own rights by successfully introducing people to gun ownership, to marksmanship, and to coyote or fox hunting or, or bobcat hunting, predator hunting overall. It's I agree. I see less of less of people, you know, not being willing to help people when somebody posts something on Facebook. But in 2022, certainly in 2021, 2022. If you go on Facebook, if, if you go on Overdrive, or if you go on any of the predator hunting websites, you ask a question, um, you're you're going to get a variety of answers, but you're not going to get any of the, the smarminess. If you go on a, a, let me give you an example. If you go on one of the pages that I'm on quite a bit for writing 
And I also have to, to do the publishing part, which which means I have to be able to format a book in in a, in a way so that every time somebody downloads it, if they're using an electronic version, it will show up on whatever device they're using properly formatted. So that means I have to have something that's very complex in the background that goes, wait a minute, this guy's on an iPhone, this guy's on an uh, iPad, this guy's on a laptop, and they get the same experience. On those pages, you're destroyed. They, you, you, you don't even want to post anything because all of the successful people at it, all the people that are even halfway decent at it, they want to bombard you with how stupid you are that you can't figure out this PDF doesn't work on this particular format. That doesn't exist in the predator hunting form or any of the forms. Um, and that's because the, the people who are actually predator hunting have a lot of things, a lot more in common. It, there's more common ground uh, with predator hunters than there is in almost any other activity you can get into, maybe outside of construction. Everybody has to go through the same environmental uh, uh, um, hardships uh, we all have to spend a certain amount of money. We all have to pl- uh, comply with 60,000 something regulations. And there, there's that shared common ground so that we all, we all respect and understand what the new people are going to go through. And so we can keep them excited and provide them with proper information. Um, I haven't, I don't think I've run into anybody uh, on any of the, the, you know, that I've talked to or even seen on Facebook that really, gets in your face about, you know, you know, you can't do that your first night. If you, if a new predator hunter pops in and says something that that's not a good idea, they're, they're very casually, very easily pushed in the right direction. So they don't make that mistake. And um, that that's, that's the best part of online. It's the only real value I can find about being online. It's good information. And usually it's good hearted. It's good natured. It's friendly and it's assistive and there's no downside to it in this, this particular group. I would very, I would, I would say it would be a very dangerous thing to come down too hard on a new predator hunter because the the other pros are going to jump on you and slam you into the ground for it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, you brought up a really good point there. Um, not only are we helping those people become successful, but once they become successful, that's going to be a person that's going to be adding that to their, you know, part of their life. And in turn, they're going to support it. I mean, both in terms of firearms rights and in terms of hunting, both of those lifestyles are under attack right now. I would say probably more so than they have been in a long time as well. Um, I don't know if it just seems that way because of social media and online presence makes it more visible or if actually the antis have really kind of grown in being, you know, assertive on it or whatever. But the more people we can get involved in it and that enjoy it, um, more people we're going to have on our side in that fight. Yeah, I think um, for Lynn and I, Lynn's my wife, um, we had. Uh, a nasty New York state law that took effect after we owned our ARs. It's called the SAFE Act. Mm-hmm. Now, when Cuomo passed that law, we are now required to, at the time, you could either register your ARs or anything after that, you had to buy a New York state compliant AR. So we were quickly becoming like California. Lynn and I went to one of the protests at the Capitol here in Albany. 
And what a shocker. What a shocker. I mean, there's a ton of people. There were buses. There were cars. There was traffic. The only thing the press would say about it is that we damaged $60,000 worth of state grass on the campgrounds. Um, we quickly realized that our the, the working class guy who goes out and takes a day off from work, then the government doesn't listen to us. We're just, we're just income to them. We're taxes to them. Um, so we decided that we can't protest and turn anybody into a gun rights advocate. We can't talk to anybody. You can't have a conversation and convince somebody. We had to actually get them on the ground and, you know, in the, at the range with a rifle in their hands. And if there's 20 people at each, you know, usually we can do about 20 a year. Um, maybe we get 10 more votes in our favor, 10 more people who are, because they own guns. That's the big thing. They have to have skin in the game. But uh, I'm sure a percentage that even don't own firearms are like, wait a minute, I, I've been out with these people. I know what they're doing to be safe. There's nothing inherently dangerous with these people owning firearms. And in New York State, the, the number of rules that we have to jump through to own a firearm, um, you know, recently the, the Supreme Court decided that New York's, in New York, you have to provide a reason for carrying a concealed weapon. Right. Uh, and if you're not a celebrity, you're not getting it in, in many counties. Um, I was in the Marines, so the Sheriff's Department approved mine for, for uh, full carry in New York State. But for my wife, it was from the date that my wife applied for her pistol permit in New York State, it was 27 months before she was granted a pistol permit. And it's, she's got restrictions on it that, that say she can only have it when she's hunting or when she's target shooting outside of her house. Now, the Supreme Court said, well, you can't do that to people. They don't have to have a, a reason under the Constitution. It's not a secondary right. It's a Second Amendment. As soon as that law was passed, our governor, I can't even tell you offhand how many new restrictions she added in retaliation for the Supreme Court's decision. I've been reading the, about that. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, they, she actually said you can't carry a gun, a concealed gun, into church. Where does she have the right to dictate what the church says? But now we have to, you know, we have to obey those laws. And I'm not, um, I'll be the first guy to tell you, I'm one of the 4% of New York state residents that actually registered my ARs. Um, that way I was able to keep them. Uh, I don't have to go through these, these silly new New York compliant ARs are just about worthless. Um, but uh, I did register them. I'm not here to fight the government. That's not my job. And I, I, I will vote. I will protest. I will attempt to get other people to, to understand my side and perhaps join me. But I'm not here to fight my government. I was, I was the guy who fought for the government. I'm not going to take up arms against the, my own country. And I'm not going to be angry about it or anything. I will do the best I can. Wow, it's you have to be a lawyer to carry a firearm in New York State right now. And I think that's onerous. Um, you know, you, you may have seen we had an incident in Manhattan where a gentleman was attacked in a bodega because he refused to sell some or refused to give away some potato chips. Um, and now he's in Rikers Island for defending himself. In any other state, they would have said, wow, this guy, this guy's attacking you. He's got you by six inches and 100 pounds and 20 years. Um but no, I mean, he was arrested for defending himself. So uh, I, I think the only way for that to change is 
more predator hunters, more gun owners. And that's where we need to focus it because we can't win it. And in, in the, right now we can't win it in the courts and we cannot win it arguing with people. There, there's really no discussion. Um, I go back to uh, an event uh, for us that, that galvanized us for, for actually inviting people up here to shoot. We had a very, very liberal gentleman who came up here to do what we call points on a line. So our, our back property here is about, well, it's at least a half a mile from the house and, and very thick woods. So we had a surveyor come out here and it was in February. So we'd have sleds to get through the snow. It's, it's, you can't take a, uh, any kind of motorized vehicle back there. So we're, we're, we're back in there, we're freezing. And as we're coming back, I asked him, would you like to shoot an AR? And at the time we were allowed 30 round magazines. Um, I handed him the AR, pinned a target on a tree. And those 30 rounds were going like he was firing full auto. <laughs> and it, there's an old saying that you give a liberal a Tommy gun and he's a conservative at the end of this magazine. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what happened with us. We noticed that, wow, you take people shooting, just take them shooting. Um, yeah, it's great if you could take the 13, the 14 year old, 15 year old out to train them how to be good hunters. But you can actually take a 40 or 50 year old out and maybe get another vote in your, your direction. Mm-hmm. They, they buy a gun. I, I know the, the gun adds skin to the game. So now they're, they actually have to do something. They don't want their own weapons to be taken away from. They watch New Zealand and Australia do these crazy overreactions to criminal behavior. And they, they're not going to vote for that. They're not going to allow that. They're not going to lose their own money and their own, their own rights now. Um, go ahead, sir. So how is it then from a hunter's perspective in terms of the laws there in New York? Um, do you have firearms restrictions for what you can use for hunting for predators? Actually, um, there's, there's a certain element to the predatorhunter.com that includes articles that are, that are strictly boilerplate. These are going to be, what are, the, what are the seasons for coyote in your state? So each state will have to have the regulations for hunting coyotes, foxes, and bobcats. So I've got about, I don't know, probably about 150 articles that are specific to the state you live in. Um, and what I have, what I have found is shocking. Actually, in New York State, I'd say New York State's probably within the top five best predator hunting states in the United States. We do not. Okay, so I, we don't have suppressors. Suppressors are not legal in New York State. Mm-hmm. Um, fully automatic weapons are not legal in New York State. But when the seasons for predators are open... They're at night, they're with lights, they're with thermal, they're with infrared. There's little to no restrictions on daytime. Coyote season in New York State runs from October to March 29th. And there's it's day or night. Anywhere where you can take them safely with any weapon that you can legally own in New York State. Um, outside of that season, for someone like me, when I'm protecting my, my animals, I'm as long as they're within a certain distance of the house, nobody's going to ask any questions. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd often thought, like, I'm sure a lot of people who, who see, you know, these guys are using suppressors. They're, they're getting, you know, multiple shots in. The coyotes don't run away. Um, boy, it would be nice to go out there where you could use these different weapons. But, wow, uh, actually, I'd rather shoot in New York than, you know, Nevada or certainly California. Definitely um, California. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that we're we're uh, we're very liberal with our with with predator hunting in New York State. 
And the only thing that would concern me with predator hunting in New York State is uh, I think the the other the other political side is they're they're going to want to do away with ARs at some point. Um, and it doesn't seem in 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 this state anyway, unless we can get a lot more people involved in it. I don't see predator hunting as being if, if you're not doing it, if you're not involved in it, you, I don't see a supporting it. Right. And I'm afraid at some point here, I know some states, I think like Massachusetts, even to trap, you basically need a suitcase size cage to safely trap the animal in. And those taxpayers are never told that, you know, your 7,000 uh, beaver population, the day you stop trapping has become 70,000 in three years. And that we're, we're now sending construction crews out to unblock or blow up drainage. Uh, the property's being damaged. Roads are being flooded. Those, those numbers are never reported that the people are paying a huge tax bill, billions of dollars, because they won't let a guy go out and set a water trap or a, a leg hold. Um, that's why, the, uh, while, you know, we, obviously we're talking about predator hunting, I consider the, 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 the people who trap. Um, first of all, if you're a new predator hunter, <laughs> yeah, you could read my articles or buy my books, but you follow a predator trapper around and you will learn more about predators in three months. You can learn predator hunting themselves in three years. It's amazing how much a predator trapper learns and can teach you. And yet their numbers are falling fast. That's a lot of work. I mean, in New York state, and I've done trapping years ago, that's, you know, every 24 hours, you got to check your line. Mine was a mile long at the time. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. There's absolutely no value in it whatsoever. There's no, there's no value in trapping. There's no, the fur prices are nothing. I mean, I mean, the experts may disagree with me, but again, from my perspective, the, there's no incentive for it other than being smarter than the predator. And I think that also applies to the, the predator hunters, the idea of, call any animal but if you're a trapper and you become a predator hunter you're not only gonna be able to call them in you're gonna know exactly where they're coming from <laughs> well that's one thing we're seeing um because i know there's several states that actually in areas have outlawed trapping and mm -hmm. since they've outlawed even in the short amount of time because i think what california did it what maybe two years ago i think new mexico just did it recently um you're already seeing reports of people having more interactions with especially out there, more dangerous predators, mm -hmm. um, mountain lions, for example. Um, here in Michigan, you know, you talk about the decline of trapping. There's still a trapping presence, but like you said, I think it's declining as well. And a lot of that is driven because, like you said, there's no, it used to be, I know guys that put themselves through college by trapping. Right. Back in the day, like say the early 80s. Um, now there, it costs you more in gas than you will even ever get out of the fur that you sell. So I think that the, that is one reason for the decline in trapping. And to my point, we're starting to see more, um, of varmints around here because especially raccoons, because no one's trapping them anymore. You don't have as many people even hunting them anymore because there's no value in the fur. So as, a result, we have a higher raccoon population, and this year, 
I think the DNR estimated our turkey population was down anywhere from 40 to 50% in a lot of the state. And my personal opinion is a lot of that could be attributed to the fact that there is a booming varmint population. And those varmints, as we know, they love eggs and they'll raid turkey nests. So you have less, you know, less retention of, you know, game birds because their nests are getting raided. Um, and I see it in the field when we go out at night. Um, you know, obviously when I'm hunting for private land, we're targeting coyotes, but more and more this year, especially I'm seeing raccoons like crazy out there. And, you know, landowners are like, yeah, if you want to come out and just target the raccoons, go for it. You know, part of it is I love calling in coyotes, but calling in raccoons and eliminating raccoons can be a lot of fun too. But, you know, it's, it's one or the other when I'm out in the field, which one does the landowner want gone more, you know, at the time. So yeah, it's, it's surprising how much they're under attack and how much, how many of those people have quit doing those. And the result is you're seeing more of those predators and animals around and thusly more people are complaining. You see it on social media, you hear about it on the news. We just had, um, matter of fact, not too far from me, we just had some people, it was on the news, were charged by a pair of coyotes up by a campground up here. And, you know, that makes big news around here because it's something you don't hear about a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, because we like to try and help out farmers, we're on, you know, backyard chicken owners page, kind of like you were talking about. More and more reports of people saying, hey, something's getting my chickens. What can I do? Yeah, I wonder how many more uh, coyote attacks on kids at uh, bus stops. Um, you know, we see that up here. You, you see that in the news. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know that uh, I'm not I'm not really. I'm not really sure that if they do stop the trapping, that even increased incidents and attacks on humans will get people to change their minds on it. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I own a home in the city and, you know, I'll see more coyotes on the streets there at two o'clock in the morning than I'll see in my own backyard. at two o'clock. <laughs> it's crazy how adaptable they are. I know I read an article here a while back about, uh, they did an article on a whole family of them. They're living at like a baseball stadium in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if, uh, if people, if, if there are folks out there that, you know, that, that don't mind living in close proximity to coyotes, if they're in the woods or in the city, um, that that's great. I, I, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. Right. Um, but you have to understand that they do need to eat a certain amount. They knew they, they do. You know, often that, that means your dog food, but, um, you know, I'm a guy with, uh, I like English Mastiffs. I, I like big mutts. I cannot lie, but, um, I also like Shih Tzus and I like Chihuahuas and I really shouldn't have those where I live and they, they have to be constantly monitored. They have to be constantly watched and you're still not going to be faster than that coyote. No, and you're, you're not never be able to, and you're not there all the time either, nope. you know? Nope. Now, um, one of the things that I, I would like to talk about, if you have a second, is I'm a, you know, there, there, there are a few areas on predator hunting websites and Facebook and stuff 
where I don't know if it's everybody, but I've certainly been, you know, I've gotten my share of feedback from it. Um, it's ATN. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not, uh, I'm not here to promote ATN, but you know, ATN produces what I consider to be the most affordable entry level and effective, say either infrared or thermal scopes for new hunters for the, if we take the ATN Thor, um, you know, it's, it's two grand, it's quite a bit of money, but it's two grand to put somebody at what I would consider to be hundred yards. I wouldn't go too much past 100 for the entry level $2,000, you know, the 384, 364 version. But if, uh, if, if I could go back in time, uh, and this is what I, I sometimes mention in my articles, the, uh, there is a certain degree of excitement of, uh, for the predator hunter who is scanning constantly with a red light because all the only thing he's going to be able to see is the eyes, those two little fiery red orbs in the dark. That really gets you hooked. Con- you have to constantly be in motion when you're a new predator hunter with a red light at night. You're just constantly scanning. You're trying to work your calls. You're a very busy guy for that 20, 45 minutes. And it is extremely exciting. Take the same guy and put him in the same place with a thermal scope. And what's going to happen? He's going to scan once and there's no heat source. So now he'll call and call and then maybe scan again and call and call. The, the problem is the thermal takes a lot of the work out of it. It, 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 it Yes, there, there's a million benefits. So, you know, if you want to, we, we can talk about, but <laughs> if you're just talking about sheer fun, sheer enjoyment of, not really knowing how everything's working out out there. You don't get much feedback except the pair of eyes staring at you. Um, I I miss those days. I still do those days right now because I've loaned out all of my equipment. That's how I would have to hunt. Um, but the uh, it's fifty dollars. You're never going to have as much fun because it, well, in New York State, if you buy a, a you know a small game license. For that additional fifty dollars, you've got six months of hey, I got a free night tonight. Um, and I, you notice I, I mostly talk about night hunting, and both of my books are on night hunting. But that's because I have a, a day job. Um, now there's there's some events that happen here during the during the day, but the night hunting is obviously the time most of us working class Joes, and I imagine a lot of us are either construction workers or you know we're working at some sort of a trade we get very, very limited amount of time to ourselves with family, with the job, with weather, uh, and, and all the other things can happen around here. Um, I really miss the first days. They were pure excitement. I can remember every one of those. And you can, you can go out, uh, opening day of last year here in New York state. I had been talking to, um, Brian Rush. He's the owner of Rush Custom Callers. And I had purchased a rabbit stress squealer, squeaker from him, squealer. And on Facebook the night before, I told him, you know, this is, I'm going to use this opening day. I'm going to try and get a coyote the first, you know, the first uh, on, on opening day. Um, but with the ATN, I killed two coyotes with the same bullet. And it's thermal. I know where everybody is. I can quickly predict their patterns with a red light. No way. No way. You just don't need as much skill. Now, the 
the other thing about the red light and with new predator hunters is if you just stick with it, you, you need to know that you're enjoying this sport and you've only got $50, not 2000, but 50. So you can go out, you can have some fun and you can also, you, you'll actually be forced to learn how to actually use your calls. The, the, you know, and, and you, you can confirm that you can get a, a coyote within 50, 60 yards of you that you can actually see. Um, I love the thermals. I love the infrareds uh, to be a new hunter, to go out on that first, those first couple of times. Um, I don't know what your experience was, but I think at one point I was like one in 32. So maybe, maybe a fox or a coyote every 32 stands. Right. Do you remember those days? Oh yeah. That's, you know, we started out the same way. I started off only daytime hunting. Then we graduated into nighttime hunting with lights, red lights. And then, you know, went to night vision, now thermal, but I still have my light set up. I still have my night vision set up. I still have all that stuff, but yeah, I remember. And I think part of it is too, our coyote population has been increasing over the years. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, you know, I think the average was about one in 20, give or take. Right. You know? Yeah. So you, you know, that's it, it just was seeing one, that's not even killing one. That's just right. Yeah. One. Yep. Now, one of the things I have noticed, you, you talked about it, the increasing numbers. Obviously, we've got some crazy numbers here, but the first couple of years that I was measuring and taking coyotes, I had the same average coyote weight, which was 31 pounds. 31 pounds, male or female, it's 31 pounds all the time. And I used one of these, mm-hmm. you know, digital scales. I don't know the maker manufacturer. I think it's this crane scale on it. Um, it was so often that it would be 31 within 31 pounds that I thought, well, this thing was broken it's another amazon (laughs) um over the last three years i've noticed that the average weight of the coyotes has increased we're now at 37 pounds on average really Uh, for yep 37 pounds these are obviously where we are and i think where you are as well it's eastern coyote um but and i would not say this if i did not have first of all 100 trust in the reporter and his photos and a timeline that night of what had happened um, but a friend of mine, Brian Coons, yep. last year he shot a 63-pound Eastern Coyote, and that's in Skodak, New York, Skodak County, New York, um, uh, Scary County. I'm sorry, Scary County. So, uh, 63 pounds is a very large dog. The largest one I took last year was 41-pound female. These dogs are big; they're getting very numerous, and if if they ever do make it so that we can't trap or hunt them, I have no idea what they're going to do as far as damaging the local farmers, the ranchers, the poultry people. Um, it's very, very important that we get as many people interested in the sport as possible. And the, you know, the, the website's going to stay that way. Um, and I'm hoping that by, you know, assisting you do red light on a used gun, on a, on a, on a, I, the last article I wrote um, on shotgun hunting coyotes for beginner, I actually talk about, I use a Maverick 88, which at the mm-hmm. time was probably like a $189 shotgun a couple of years ago. It's probably twice that much now, but that's uh, that's not a hunting rifle. It's it's not designed for hunting. It's, uh, it's a cylinder bore. There's no choke. There's nothing in it. But here where I live, where you can shoot a coyote that's going to suddenly appear 22 yards away in the woods, perfect, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the, with the right rounds and stuff. Um, 
these new hunters, it's so exciting. As long as we can increase their odds of success, we're likely to turn them into future hunters, lifelong hunters. Um, but it's not enough to talk about. Like anything else, if you want to do something to preserve your sport of predator hunting or trap, you need to set a goal. Not a January 1st goal. If you have to do it, you do it today. But you got to set a goal that you are going to introduce and take and coach and mentor and participate and drive with and sit with a new predator hunter. One or two a year. Now, this year, uh, Brian Rush and I from Rush Custom Callers, I think we're taking two or three young men out. They're, I think they're like 14 to 15, maybe 13 to 14, whatever the, the, the rules are here. Um, we're going to take them out on opening day. Um, sorry about that. We're, we're, we're going to take them out on opening day. Um, I'm going to be introducing them to the shooting. We're going to take them to a range so they, they, they know how to hit a target 100 yards away and safely do it. We'll do all that, that, that practice and training. And then Brian will take them out on their first night. He's the local calling expert. He takes 100 coyotes a year on a, on a, on a regular year. Um, and that's, you know, that's in upstate New York. So uh, that's what we got to do. It, it's great to take an adult. It's great to take kids. But make a commitment. Just one new person every year. And, and you know, go for more than that if possible. But take them out. All your skills are going to be worthless if the numbers float 5149 and some governor says, nah, you shouldn't be shooting those poor coyotes. Yeah, we have, you know, we have the right now our big thing in terms of that is the wolf situation in Michigan. And like you said, we have the same thing, you know, I mean, unfortunately here in Michigan, the downside of the state, I mean, the Southern part of the state here in Michigan, we don't have wolves. Um, but we have the big cities that have all the voting power. So all the people in the upper peninsula that actually have the, they have to deal with the wolves don't have the voting power to control what they can actually do about the wolf population and problem in the upper peninsula. So, you know, going to that point, it, it's hard to educate people down here about the wolf situation because they aren't living with them and they live in a big city and they just see you know national geographic where wolves are all cute and they help yellowstone and blah 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 but the reality of the people that live in the upper peninsula that don't have that say as strong because of the voting numbers is you know they're dealing with livestock losses they're dealing with wolves stalking people for lack of a better word um you know, decimating the population of the other game animals up there. But they can, when we had a vote at one time about having a wolf hunt in Michigan, the entire Upper Peninsula was darn near 100% in support of it. But because they don't have the numbers, the lower part of Michigan, because their voting numbers come from like Detroit and Grand Rapids and all these big cities that don't have to interact with the wolves and look at them as just big fluffy happy dogs they voted against it you know and you know it comes to your point you don't have the people on your side you don't you aren't gonna have those numbers when it comes to a vote and yeah there's the possibility that you might not be able to take advantage of it no there's and you know coupled with the general disinterest in the american population of being outside of being exposed to the elements in general um 
there's not a lot of people that, you know, if you're not, if you're not actively encouraging people to participate in the sport, there's absolutely no other reason for them to be engaged in it. They've, they've got other things to do in the house. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my late fifties. One of the things I notice, like on a day, like, uh, like, like Monday, when I go out Monday, when I go to work, I'll be driving around at different sites. 40 years ago, I would have seen kids out playing. <laughs> they don't spend a lot of time outside anymore. No. So you're, you're not just introducing somebody to the idea of hunting a coyote and all the, all the things that you have to learn. Um, uh, you're actually trying to teach them how to dress warmly. And I, I've probably introduced, uh, I've done new training for say about 15 to 1700, you know, construction workers in the last uh, 15 years. And I know that a lot of them, they fade in the sun like grass and the first winter or rainstorm that, uh, that they're exposed to, they're miserable all day outside working. Um, they're going to go home. They're not going to come back to work. So I can only, I can only imagine how much harder that is to, you know, to get somebody to sit there and sit through the weather and just to take a shot at a dog. Having said all that, um, you and I both know that there's a considerable jolt of adrenaline um, and, and, and then that may be our number one sales technique is how exciting this is, but do you, can you even remember, there's something called the curse of knowledge, Ken, and you suffer from that as an experienced private hunter and that you don't understand what you know that you didn't know that others that don't involve themselves in this sport don't know. They never see coyotes in their entire lives and they and yet even in a city these coyotes are drinking their from their or eating from their dogs dishes and pooping in their backyard and they're like why did fifi poop here when i only let her out so far did fifi he, eat a rug or something there yeah. looks like there's a bunch of stuff in there you know it's it, on if, if i walk outside my house right now and i was just talking about this to a couple of other friends um uh very close to the house and all around the property there's coyote poop it's, it's not my dogs. My dogs don't eat berries. And, right. you know, it's that time of the year. I know that they're eating everything they can. Um, people are blind to what they don't know. And unfortunately, those of us that are in a trade are blind to what they don't know. Hmm. We forgot how much we've actually learned to be in this sport. And our, uh, uh, you know, now, now we'll debate the 30 minute calls versus two minute calls, or, you know, I, I happen to know there's, there's really, if you ask a bunch of experts, there's two calls that people like to use that, that most people like to use. They're not running through 300 on their caller. Um, but it is so it's, we're living in a, it's a, it's a different culture than when we were kids. Oh, um, whether it's being outside versus watching TV, there's more entertainment inside. I think, I think the, the the problem we need to avoid is we can't say kids these days. If we were to jump in a time machine, you and I right now, go back 2,000 years and sneak up on two legionnaires, two Roman legionnaires leaning on their spears at the gate of some city, we'd hear them in Italian say, kids these days. <laughs> I'm sure that's just a perennial thing that always happens. But it's certainly different if if, if, the, if, 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 if not the music, if not, the, if not what they're doing, just in the fact that they're they're how many of them are exposed to sunlight how many minutes today and go back 40 years and say how many kids got 40 minutes or more of sunlight or you know we're playing in the snow i have 
I can't remember the last time I saw kids outside tobogganing down the side of a small hill, which was the preliminary sport of all predator hunters in the 1970s and 80s. Yep. <laughs> we were on a piece of plastic skating down. The, that's how you could tell who would grow up to be outside predator hunting. Right. It was the kids that were, you know, broken bones and everything. But I don't, when I, I dare our, our, our older listeners to, to say, when was the last time you saw kids outside playing? Mm. And, and add the element of inclement weather to that. And now we've got to try to get, uh, a 14, 15, or 16-year-old to go out with us. And I can tell you, in the, uh, as as happy and motivated and as confident as I am that we can actually get this thing going, the last time I took a really young guy out and he was 16, he used a predator calling, a predator call sequence that I'd never heard before and sure as hell didn't work. It was snoring. He fell asleep probably within 10 minutes of us sitting down there. <laughs> he was out cold. Right? So not, not for everybody. Um, and there's just no way to convince the rest of the our, our population that, uh, you know, maybe that's the point, Kevin. The rights that we have now, we, we may be the only people or one of the few groups, gun owners, and, and hunters in general, maybe maybe one of the only parts of the American citizenship that actually is looking into the future as far as preserving rights, conserving the rights that we have. Um, and it's an interesting thing if you think about it. Uh, we would have to admit it's fear that we will lose the rights. That someone's going to come and say, "Hey, you got to give me all your ARs. You got to give me all of your, you, you know." And and we're very close to that in New York State. I'm not sure that we'll be able to keep those rights, but fear that we have. It's the only emotion, actually, that strictly relates to the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you love something, it's about now. If you like something, it's about now. But fear is, is emotion about what happens in the future. Um, and we're, I, I'm not sure that we'll be able to protect our rights. And yet, if you think about it, um, and I go back to what I learned in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps, I was taught that the deadliest thing on the battlefield. Have you ever heard the saying, the deadliest thing on the battlefield? Complacency. No, I'm sorry, sir. A well-aimed round. Oh, okay. All right. So as far as effectiveness, a well-aimed round. Um, now, I spent five and a half years in the Marines. I was a sergeant in the Marines. I know a lot of Marines. So I can tell you something. Your average predator hunter can outshoot a Marine any day of the week. Any day of the week. He knows more about the, the end ballistics of his weapon. He uses it more often. Um, and he has much better capability. Uh, not, not, not to detract from my Marine brothers, but I'm just telling you, on, on an average, predator hunters spend a lot more time behind the gun, behind the sights, actually shooting at moving targets that are three inches. Or a lot smaller targets usually, too. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and, and we know from our own American history that if the deadliest thing on the battlefield is a well-armed, well-aimed round, that that has always consistently, historically come from, not from the rifleman marksmanship that we learn in the military. It is from the tradition we have as hunters and gun owners in the United States. That is what has made us effective in promoting our own political and world viewpoints as American citizens across the planet. And how that changes in the future would be, you know, uh, we'll think about it. If things did go bad in the United States, Kevin, you're the you're the you're now. I've just made you the victorious Russian general. You've successfully defeated the American military, and 
you know what I'm giving you, Kevin? You did a, you did a good job for us. You know, you did took care of those Marines, those Army guys. You got in there. So, Kevin, I'm going to gift you 200 acres of farmland and woods in Ohio. And if there's any predator hunters around, that's <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That would be a thing to be afraid of. Oh, yeah. Now the Japanese had that had a saying, and I'm not sure that it was uh, Isoroku Yamamoto, who's you know he was the one who said that I'm afraid we've woken the sleeping giant and filled him full of fury. But I, uh, the other thing that Japanese were very concerned about invading the United States was I know most people have heard this before was that there would be a rifle behind every blade of grass. Yeah. So we know that our sworn enemies, people who have deliberately attacked us in the past have been terrified of the American marksman. And maybe that's what we have to strive to protect over and above, you know, not just having a goal of having more voters and everything. We need to preserve that fact because that's why and how America became what it is today. And we now have people willing to, on their own time, very expensively to go out and at their own time and expense, learn how to hunt, learn how to shoot, learn how to maintain these weapons. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't think that the end of the world is coming, but I do like the fact that American predator hunters are very good marksmen and, you know, they're protecting my livestock today, but who knows what in the future. Right. And right now, get as many votes as we can, uh, take people out hunting, introduce them to the support. And my job is always going to be not the expert. I'll ask the experts and then we'll try to get you in at the lowest cost so that you can go hunting and be successful today. The only other part of that that we will focus on is no wounded animals. We don't want wounded animals. So you have to have your own code of ethics going into the sport. That's the maybe the last thing you and I might want to just briefly touch on is communicating to the new hunters that no matter what you hear, they're not, they're not, um, the coyote is no less of an animal than any other animal. We're going to take uh, we're going to take shots that are reasonable, ethical, with high probability of success. Putting the dog down right there, and we don't have to track it. We'll learn our tracking skills. We'll learn how to to, to chase blood in the trails, but um, they're not just mangy varmints that we shoot anything at. We're not shooting uh, full metal jacket at them. You know, we're going to spend the money to get to get you know rounds to consistently anchor them to the ground, um, and. Every shot has to be ethical. We know our range. We know our abilities. And if we're off, we have the skill to go out and find them and track them down and put them out of their misery. The last, if, if you can fail as a predator hunter, if you, could, if you can fail as a coyote hunter, you failed if that coyote shows up anywhere with, with a wound to it that other people can see. That's the last thing our sports team. You can argue the fact that we probably shouldn't spend so much time posting pictures on the internet, uh, on social media, certainly the bloodier stuff. You could certainly argue that maybe we shouldn't, or maybe there's a problem with the contests, um, but none of those are going to have quite the same impact as somebody publishing a photo of, you know, a coyote with half its face shot away in a school playground. That's yeah. what we. Need yeah, that, and I also, you know, one one of my pet peeves that I hear from the antis is they have this assumption that we want to hunt them to the point of extinction right left and in my opinion that is a hundred percent false because if i hunted them to extinction what am i going to do then right. <laughs> you know they, yeah. they they serve a valuable part of the ecosystem there's no doubt about it 
and I enjoy pursuing them. So no, I don't want to hunt them to extinction. I want them to stay around. I understand they serve a purpose, but at the same time, I think we need to manage them to a healthy level and I enjoy doing it. And I bet you, I, 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 I'd be willing to bet you could take your most successful coyote hunter and get a couple of beers in them. And he'd admit, we love coyotes. Right. We love fox. Yeah, yeah, we do hunt them, but there's a relationship there. And <laughs> you, as an anti-coyote hunter, you don't care about them at all. Right. You did don't you, have even seen one. Did you ever read the book by Skip Schumacher called uh, Diary of a Coyotero? No, sir. If you get a chance, uh, check it out sometime. There's a quote, and I have it saved. I took a screenshot of it on my phone. There's a quote from him towards the end of his book. He says, I love coyotes. They're great at doing what coyotes do. He says, the only thing I don't like is people that aren't as smart as coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, uh, uh, it's the, it's the, the people that, that don't want us shooting them. I, I, I often feel that there's more than that, the, the, that they don't want us doing. They don't want us owning the weapons. They don't want us to have access to them. For some reason they fear them again. Um, I differ greatly from the governor of my state. Uh, couldn't be more from abortion to coyote hunting and beyond. There's no, there's nothing I agree with, with what she says. Yeah. But when she makes it a law, I'm going to obey the laws, period. So I would, you know, as a citizen, as a Marine, I am not going to disobey the law. Okay. At the same time, um, I know the way the system is gamed right now, we have to create more predator hunters. We have a great environment for it in terms of promoting. It. Uh, let's face it. If, if you're watching this or if you're hearing this and you've never hunted coyotes before, you're in for some struggles. These are very intelligent animals that are going to trick you. They're going to make you look silly. You're going to freeze to death. You're going to wonder if you're ever going to feel your fingertips, let alone try to pull a trigger with them. You're going to wonder how do batteries die so fast? There is a million things that could possibly go wrong. And yet you're going to have a great time. The thing that really will work in our favor is consistently maintaining these. If we're going to have social media, um, I'm not going to go into the negative sides, but if, in the positive sides, if you're a predator hunter right now, the way you preserve your sport is to be very generous with your support to new predator hunters. Be as helpful as you can be as frank and honest as you can and, you know, just be willing to accept the fact that every day you log on, there's likely to be a new person asking the same question on other things that I'm involved in. It's the repeat questions that drive the pros crazy. Now they get nasty and snappy. Don't do that. Don't do that. Every person who shows up new and asks a question is potentially a guy who's going to vote exactly like you would like to. So we, we need to pr pr promote that. Yeah. When I started asking questions as a writer, one of the first people I went to was to Kevin Rush, uh, um, Brian Rush, I'm sorry, at Rush Custom College. And I, I, can't, I can't mention that name or his company enough because he sat down with me. We talked about, you know, what's the mission of the Predator Hunter? What, what are we going to try to do? And how do we stick to that? Um, and I, I really can't do that by, um, by any other means than asking experts 
and getting people to willingly spend hours with me making the calls on the video, showing where their hand placement is, talking about, you know, Brian Rush is, is, is fantastic. He has his own language. And, and I've listened to, you know, like your podcasts and you guys will, will you throw away terms like UP and the rest of us were like, what does that mean? Yeah. You can't even Google it. I mean, thank God I knew Upper Peninsula that Michigan's apparently two different states and you've all got to <laughs> Brian Rush has his own accent. He's got his own vocabulary. And, you know, he introduced me to some things that we were able to take and make common language throughout the articles. Rabbitat. You know, the habitat, rabbit, rabbitat. That's where you find coyotes. Where you find rabbits, you'll find coyotes. Um, another thing Brian likes to say is coyotes do coyote things. And I'm sure that these are phrases that I don't know how you would translate into Michiganer. I don't even know what a, what is a Michigan, Mich or New Yorker, Michigander. Uh, um, so Brian was the very first person I got to spend the most amount of time with, but you know very well that it's also been guys like you and those on Facebook, you know, that, that, uh, have helped me write all these articles. There's, if, if I have a gift, it's I'm a marksman with the words to a certain degree, um, fewer spelling errors, more commas where they're supposed to be. Uh, I try to keep it in a nice succinct little flow, a little, you know, formula so that you can find it on the internet, that you can read it quickly, um, that you're not, you know, paying uh, thousands of dollars to get into the trade, but you go to the experts and I have found as somebody who's writing about it, that it's a very open, generous, it's a great group to belong to. Even if you're the embedded journalist and the other Marines are like, what's this freaking Rolling Stones guy doing in our tank? You know. One thing I've noticed following your blog posts that you put up, which um, we'll touch on that real quick for anyone that wants to check those out. The website is uh, thepredatorhunter.com. And the blog posts are all on there as well as links to your books. Um, but on those blog posts, I'm starting to see more and more people sharing information with you that you add to these. Um, and you touched on it a little bit, but it seems like you're getting pretty positive feedback on people wanting to be involved and share that information with you. Huge, huge. The, uh, at this point, you know, you, you could probably sit down and write 10 25 articles on coyote hunting. If, you know, just from your own, well, okay, I'll, I'll just say me. I could write two. <laughs> you could write 25, 50. In the last year, I've produced 237. It's 237 articles. Some of those are boilerplate. I'll admit that. Those, you know, what are the rules for hunting coyotes in Texas? What are the rules for hunting? But you get into, well, like the use of a shotgun and You'll you probably notice that, and 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 most of my better articles, my, my more wider read articles, where you know, where say three, three or four thousand people have read it in the last couple of months. Those are the ones where I I have a, a little format that I use, which is the beginner from the idiot's perspective. And remember that idiot sits right in here, very comfortably. Okay, <laughs> For, and he's a very cheap guy. He only wants to spend if he if he bought the light, he doesn't want to spend any more money. Right. So. I will give you my opinion about how my Maverick 88 works at 22 yards. Can't shoot any further than that, bro. If it's, you know, if it's the bore cylinder, that's it. Don't shoot. You're not going to do 75 yards, but I can also introduce guys like Tom Austin in the last article. And I know 
Tom Austin is more famous for being a photographer or a videographer. Uh, I think he works with Fox Pro. Mm -hmm. So he, um, but he's, he, you know, he take a dog at 67, 75 yards. I can't do that. Not with a shotgun. No way. I I couldn't even be that lucky. So I will incorporate the added information, the personal perspective that people provide to me. When, when you when you produce your article, now you've got the basic beginner guy at fifty dollars, and now you've got well, you could also add this, and you can use this round. And if you read my articles, I don't actually have to say it, but you'll you'll notice that people use heavy shot, mm-hmm. shock, heavy shot shows up, and uh, Hornady uh, Magnum, um, I believe it's Hornady Magnum. They start up, so you can actually say, you know what? Uh, first of all, Dennis isn't selling it on this page. There's, there's nothing for sale, um, and I tell you, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what? After you read this article or during this article, here's a picture of this guy with his dogs. Here's the rifle you use. Here's a shotgun you use. Here's a caliber you use. Here's a call you use. Here's a range you shot at. So you can, you got a, a nice smorgasbord or a Chinese buffet of information you can take and go, my well, man, I'm going to use this and I'll try this. And I, what I really love is, but usually before I, I start working on an article, um, I'll put something on Facebook. And I know for People provide pictures sometimes. That means you got to wait a month to see it if it ever comes out. But um, people immediately start providing with information. And it's all friendly. Mm. It's all useful. And because they're posting it, you know, if, if Kevin Routh says, I use this, you, you, one thing you'll notice is there's never anybody saying no. More often than not, somebody will go, yeah, Kevin, I like that round too but, or, and I also use that's, that's what I talk about this particular predator hunting groups that within that environment, which is for me, it's Facebook. I I had Instagram, but Instagram was, was uh, kept knocking me off for several weeks for something. Um, So I went to Facebook and, 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 you know, we can't, we can't, we cannot continue to exist within the social media groups because uh, and that's why I have a web page and I have a web page with a host provider who has sworn to its customers that it will never, ever, ever pull a page without a court order. That's their business motto. Mm-hmm. They have to have a court order to cease publication of this website. So my website's protected. Um, but right now on Facebook, you, you have a few of these groups that are out there right now where people are more than willing to help. People love, love helping folks. I have to do a little bit more on my end. So um, I, you know, I, I photo credit um, linking, you know, when people send me something, if they've got a predator hunting page or if they've got a product that they want to sell, I will link it inside that article. Now I'll just, for, for now it's easier for me to go with rush custom callers. Um, you'll see rush custom calls often used, And uh my 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 reason for that, Kevin. To be honest with you, it's an old saying: "Dance with the guy who brought you to the dance." Okay, mm-hmm. he brought me to the dance. He invested in me. He gave me valuable information. the The last time I checked, were like four thousand people have read the article on closed calls that he did, where he sat and spent all that afternoon doing the recordings for me. So I'm I'm going to link him into my articles as often as possible, and we're applicable. But up front, in, in each article, and right now I can tell you, I have no financial relationship to him. I will never take a penny from Brian Rush. I am not here to make money off the people uh, or receive any kind of income from anybody that I recommend. Having said that, 
I had to kind of start early. And that was, you know, well, we only have a thousand viewers, you know, a year ago and now we got 20,000. I can't, I have to set a, a, a policy here where I don't accept free products. I can't accept free products. I have to buy everything blind so that people don't know that I bought it, so that it's an average product that somebody gets and tries out in the field. Um, that can be, you would not believe how much pressure you'll get from companies. They'll, they'll mail stuff right to the house. I've got a, a laser thing in the back of the house here that I don't know what to do with. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice product. It's $500. I was told, oh, yeah, you know, you want to write an article on it? Uh, you can or you can't. You don't have to, but you can, you can keep it. Well, uh, you know, I would love to put this on. It's, it's perfect for the scope. I would love to put it on. But that means I have to kind of you know, change the way I'm doing business. So I have to have the caveat out there so that you, Kevin Rott, know that I received this gift for free. And I didn't buy it. So it's I have no idea. Maybe they, they factory selected it. You know, that this is perfect before they sent it to me. Is it the same one that you would have got? Right. You know, I don't know that. So I can't trust it. So odds are I'll never put that thing on my scope. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed, too, going back to the people that you um, talk to, that you get input to from for your articles, is starting to see a lot of variety, more so lately seeing more variety from people all over the state are you getting feedback from other any other countries as well like canada no. or canada canada yes okay canada yes yep um and one in mexico oh mexico. But you know i don't yep i don't think coyotes are native to any other you know to europe or anything that i'm that I'm aware of okay um foxes are yeah you know, um so it's interesting um i have the uh hunting red and gray foxes at night yep. which is my longest book by far my favorite by far <laughs> almost no one ever buys because it's just too specific you know it's it's too narrow of a focus but um what's interesting about that one is uh you'll get sales in great britain italy japan and like, wait a minute what are these what are these people buying this particular book for you know um but the the uh <clears throat> the coyote book um, well, for the blog, you know, specifically for the blog, I think there's like 17 or 1800 people on Facebook that I'm in contact with. Um, if you're a new predator hunter and, uh, you know, you, you find, you know, Dennis Gilmore on Facebook or the blog itself, um, we, I'd be more than willing to talk to you. I would love to do, uh, there's, I have a, uh, uh, one of those remarkables, um, you know, this little, I don't know if you've ever seen it where you, you write on the, it's a well, electronic paper thing. Um, I have a list of uh, stories that I'm working on and story ideas. And uh, I think one of the way, one, one of the more frequent articles we start to need to pr produce are just the, you know, this is this guy's first time, what it was like. So that, you know, people have that uh, ability to read and go, okay, that's, uh, uh, you know, in what it was like the first night. And you and I are both familiar with the term. And <laughs> I know we have to be very cautious about this. We've both been backdoored by dogs. Right? <laughs> Which, I like to use the term ninja. <laughs> yes. Ninjas is probably better, but you know, the, when we were new, uh, you go out on a nice snowy night and, or a snowy morning 
you would call for 45 minutes. You'd get up to walk home and back to the truck or whatever. And you'd find that there were coyote prints 16 feet behind you. Walk across your boot prints in the snow. Yep. Or walk yeah. to them. And but, then but find, out that, find out that in front of you, there's a gigantic arc that walks right around you, comes right back in behind you. And you never saw that dog. Those are the kind of stories that we need. They're fun. Um, they also encourage other people that, uh, to understand you're never going to be the expert. Uh, you'll never likely be the expert. And you can't be your first four or five years. You're, you're not going to be consistent. Right. It's a skill you have to develop. It's, there's some time you're going to spend on it. It's a lot of fun. It's like any other hobby. The better you get at it, the more you're going to realize I don't know a lot about it. Um, and it's a perfect environment on Facebook right now. While uh, you can ask these questions. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to working with some, some new predator hunters. Um, I've also have a terrible, um, I have a terrible desire to do interviews with you and, uh, is it Rob Gagne, Gagne out in Vermont, G-O-N-Y-A-W. Okay. Uh, he, he takes a lot of dogs out in Vermont. Um, uh, I will eventually get together with you and with him to do, you know, just some, some local pieces uh, that, that should be a lot of fun for, I guess, maybe just for the benefit of more experienced hunters. Somebody say with three to five years, I would like to up their game. Um, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never like had the goal of taking X number of dogs. Um, for me, I have, it's always been a science experiment. It's always been the same property same little parcel land and the same, you know, it's, it's just an ex a great big long science project for me. Um, but the, the website uh, has gotten all of its help and all of its information from experienced hunters who have agreed up front with the motto of the company, which is you know, as cheap as possible, dead right there. First thing. Nice. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to wrap it up for this afternoon. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you, sir. And again, if someone wants to look up your books or your blog, where should they go? Well, you can go on Amazon um, and just type in Dennis Gilmore. Uh, the blog website is thepredatorhunter.com. And there's no www in front of that, right? Uh, you can throw that in there, but either way, it'll, it'll, it'll pop up. Okay. And we've, we've built that website, so it should pop up like that. Well, speed has always been important like in your shooting skills. Yep. And I would, I would encourage people to check it out. Um, you know, I was browsing through it. And again, like I said, you have articles that are specific to different states, uh, different experience levels, different tactics and different animals. So there's really a lot of good information on there that, like I said, starting at the beginning level and all the way through, you know, there's just a lot of good information on there. So I encourage people to check it out. Thank you very much, Brian. Kevin. <laughs> Thank you, uh, John. Or Dennis. <laughs> hey, Sal. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, you know, um, you know, like and subscribe to the podcast if you would, please. And we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>